Take our Bibles, please, and turn to Romans, chapter 12. Verse 14 says, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together today around your word. We thank you for the freedom we have in this country to be able to fellowship together, to be able to take the word of God, to open it, to study it, and to apply it, Father God, to our lives. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you, Father God, today that we can come together to worship you. We just pray that you bless now as we open up your word. We pray, Father God, that you would uh, quiet our hearts and our minds and focus, allow our focus to be upon you. And I pray that, Lord, you give me wisdom uh, as today I seek to share your truth, that, Father God, I would do it clearly according to your will and you'd receive all the praise and all the glory. We thank you now for this day. Thank you for this, your word. Bless we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are some believers who feel that when they have come to the end of Romans chapter 11, they have all the need from the epistle to the Romans. They have their doctrine. What else do you need? But as one commentator observed, he said, we must take the whole of the scripture, otherwise we'll miss its balance. You know, the Lord is concerned not only with our doctrine, but he's concerned with our practical life. He's concerned with our daily living. It's concerned with what we do as believers, not just what we believe. The same commentator went on to say this. He said, if we say that we are people who believe what we read in the first 11 chapters and then live in a manner that is opposed to that teaching, we bring the very doctrine in which we claim to glory into disrepute. You know, today, and as it's been throughout church history, people are more concerned with what we do than what we say. So the glory of God and his great salvation is in a sense in our own hands. Because people will judge the salvation that we teach and preach by what they see in us. You know, if you and I talk about justification and sanctification and glorification, but still live like everybody else in this world, then men and women who observe us will inevitably react by turning away from the gospel. That has always been God's way throughout the centuries. That is how the gospel spread in the early church. It's often the life of the individual, average Christian, that had such an impact on the ancient world. Of course, there was the preaching of the apostles and the preaching of others, but it's generally agreed that it was the believer's life that was mostly responsible for the spread of the gospel in the early church. Is the best form of evangelism. But not only that, we can never in, enjoy the benefits of this great salvation if we don't obey its precepts. One commentator observed this, he said, We see here that the theoretical Christianity is useless to individual Christians and certainly to those who are outside. And indeed, I will go further. A theoretical Christianity is a contradiction in terms, for the whole object of salvation is to do something to us 
to bring us to God, to bring us to perfection, to ultimate glorification. There's nothing so wrong, so foolish and harmful as a mere theoretical Christianity. Bearing all that in mind, we now come to Romans chapter 12, verse 14. And from here in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, to the end of the chapter, the end of Romans 12, we have a further series of injunctions, a further series of commands for you and I believers, challenges that you and I must follow. First, we're challenged to bless them which persecute you. Notice that verse 14, bless them which persecute you. You. Now the word bless here means literally to speak well of, to praise, to celebrate with praises, to invoke blessings upon. He says you and I are to invoke blessings upon those who persecute us. We're to speak well of those who persecute us. You know what the Lord taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 is what we read here in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Go back with me, if you would, to Matthew 5, please. Matthew chapter 5. Let's read from verse 43 in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that it had been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? And even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? But ye therefore, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, the Lord gives to you and I some difficult instructions concerning our enemies. He starts out in verse 44 and he says this, But I say unto you, love your enemies. This is Christ's instruction to you and I. It's the same instruction that Paul's giving in Romans 12, 14. We're to love our enemies. Now here the Lord is speaking about our personal enemies. He's not talking about enemies of the cross in general. He's talking about the enemies that you and I face as believers. We're challenged here to love our enemies because the truth is, as somebody noted, goodwill is not a natural attitude. You know, you and I do not instinctively bless those that persecute us. You and I do not instinctively praise those that persecute us. You and I do not instinctively treat well those that persecute us. You see, it takes divine love to do good to those who persecute us. Someone said this is one of the greatest tests of Christian experience. You know, what Jesus Christ calls upon his disciples to do here in Matthew chapter 5 is something extremely hard for you and I to do in the flesh. Because our natural response to our enemies is to hate them. But Matthew 5.44 says we're to love them. It commands us to love them. Our natural response to those who curse us is to curse them back. But according to Matthew 5.44... 
We're to bless them that curse you. Our natural response to those who hate us is to do bad things to them. But in Christ, we're to do good to them. Verse 44, do good to them that hate you. Our natural response to those who spitefully use us, who are spiteful in their use of us, is to pray against them. God's word says we're to pray for them and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. In Christ, we're to pray for them. Our response to our enemies is not to be the response of the world. It's not to be the response of the flesh. But as one who is a disciple of Christ, we're to respond as Christ responds. We're to love our enemies. You know, the Lord said these words, but they're not just words. Because Jesus Christ lived these words. Go with me to 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter. And chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. It says, For even, even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. You were a sheep going astray, but now return unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ left us an example. It tells us here in verse 21. It says, For even here unto your call, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. You see, the words of Matthew, where he tells us to love our enemies and to pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us, etc., are not just words. They are what he did. This is his example. This is how he lived. He said the example for you and I, an example of non-retaliation. He says in verse 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He did not revile, he did not curse, he didn't come out against them and seek to do them harm. When he was reviled, not only did he not retaliate, but he went the extra mile and actually blessed his persecutors. Remember what he prayed at his greatest time of agony as he's hanging on the cross? As he's there suffering for the sins of mankind, he cried out to the Father. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is what blessing those who persecute you looks like. He was loving his enemies. He was doing good to those that hated him. He was praying for those that despitefully used him. And what we have in Romans chapter 12 and verse 14, in its basic essence, is what Jesus taught and what Jesus lived of how we're to respond to our enemies. We're to bless them which persecute you. But you know, I want you to notice this. Paul takes this teaching of blessing those that persecute us 
And instead of applying it to the context of our enemies, he applies it in the context of the local church. He brings this teaching into the local church family and tells us something about how we respond to each other. Now if you remember here in Romans chapter 12, he's talking to you and I as believers and he's talking about our response to other believers. He's told us back in verse 4, for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office, we, so we be many members of one body in Christ and everyone members of another. He goes on verse 9, says, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another, with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. He talks about serving the Lord and so on. This is in the context of the local church. So when he says that you and I are to bless them which persecute us, he's talking about in the context of the church family. Now in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, Paul deals with the matter of our response to our enemies. He talks about all from verse 17 onwards. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, there is no mention of our enemies. We're told to bless them which persecute us. And the context is the body of believers. He'll deal with our enemies later. Now it's difficult to come to terms with the prospect that you and I can suffer persecution from other believers, from other people within the body of Christ, within the church. But it's true. Now the word persecute here in verse 14 means to pursue. It's translated in verse 13 of this chapter, given, look at verse 13, distributing the necessity of the saints, given, that's the same Greek word, to hospitality. It's translated follow after in chapter 14 and verse 19. Romans 14, 19, he says, let us therefore follow after the same Greek word, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherein one may edify one another. And so this word persecute here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 14 means to follow after, to hound, to pursue someone. And in another sense, it means to persecute. Now the truth is that you and I, from time to time, are sure have felt persecuted by other believers. Every one of us have felt pursued by other believers. Every one of us have found felt hounded by other believers. Perhaps we feel unfairly treated or misunderstood. Perhaps we've felt unduly criticized or betrayed by a fellow believer. We feel pursued by others. We, we feel unfairly treated by them. We feel unduly spoken to by them. We feel like they've not treated us with the respect that we deserve. They treat us wrongly. They've accused us falsely. And our response when we feel persecution, even when it comes from fellow believers, should be not to retaliate. Look what he says in verse 19 of Romans 12. Dear beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto the wrath. For his written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We're not to retaliate. 
You see, when you and I are criticized, when you and I are persecuted, when you and I are pursued by other believers, we're not supposed to throw mud back at them. We're not supposed to seek to get our own back. That you and I then go about and blacken their name because they blackened our name, that we seek revenge on them. We're not supposed to retaliate against the person who persecutes us, who pursues us, who hounds us, who wrongfully says something about us, who curses us. And I are supposed to bless them. What he says at the end of verse 14, he says, Bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. We're supposed to speak kindly of them not to retaliate against them. Go with me to 2 Samuel, if you would please. 2 Samuel. Because in 2 Samuel we have a wonderful illustration of what the Lord's talking about in Matthew and what Paul's talking about in Romans. 1 Samuel. Sorry, 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel 16 we have... A wonderful illustration. In 2 Samuel 16, we have the story of Shimei and David. Now, the background to 2 Samuel 16 is that David has taken Saul's throne. And he's on the run right now in chapter 16 of 2 Samuel. He's on the run from his son. He's fleeing the treachery of his son, Absalom. Absalom is seeking to usurp the throne over his father, David, and seeking to become king in his father's stead. David and and his men are fleeing for their lives. Go back to chapter 15 of 2 Samuel, if you would please, and verse 13. It says this, And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said to all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee. For we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatever, whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. He's on the run. Absalom is coming to take his life and David is on the run with his men out of the cities fleeing for their lives. And as they do, Shimei, a fellow countryman who had been a supporter of Saul, took the opportunity to heap scorn upon David. Look in 2 Samuel 16, if you would please, and verse 5. When King David came to Behurim, Behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and at all the servants of the king David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, thou, uh, thou, and thou man of Belial. The Lord hath returned upon thee, 
and all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose stead thou hast reigned. And the Lord had delivered the kingdom into, thy hand, into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken thy mischief, because thou art a bloody man. Here's this Shimei, speaking to the king, cursing the king. This relative nobody cursed the king at his moment of weakness. And there's no doubt that David is He's weak here. He's fleeing for his life. He's been threatened by his son. And now this unknown friend of Saul comes out and starts to curse him, make fun of him, and mock him, and heap scorn upon him. And the first reaction to this cursing is that of David's men. And it typifies the response of the flesh. Look in verse 9. Then said Abishai, the son of Zeruai, under the king. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. There's no doubt what this man thinks, is there? His response to the cursing of Shimei is what he's going to do is full of revenge. It's full of blood-curdling retaliation. Let me go over and take off his head. I'll come a day to put it this way. I guess the motto of the flesh is, a curse should be met with a curse, and if you're able, with something worse, off with his head. There was no trial. There was no time to think about it. This man just immediately, and without regard to the person in question, said, let me go over and take off his head. And the truth is, the flesh always wants revenge. When you and I feel threatened, when you and I feel persecuted, when you and I come under uh, the cursing of others, even when it's believers, or when you and I sense there's unabated criticism of us, what we want is revenge. We want to get our own back. We want to deal out to them what they dealt out to us. That's the natural response. We want off with their head. But that's not God's way. David's response is God's way. David's response is the response of the Spirit. Look what David does in verse 10. And the king said, What have I to do with you? Ye sons of Zariah, so let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth out of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now my, uh, may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone. Let him curse for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction and the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. And David and his men went by the way and Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there. This is David's response. David left the situation in the hands of the Lord. 
And although he did not bless Shimei, he looked to the Lord for blessing to come in the situation. He says there in verse 12, It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and the Lord will requite me good for the cursing of this day. David was persecuted, David was cursed, David was mocked by this man he didn't even know. And David's response is a godly response. He says, maybe the Lord will bring a blessing out of this day. And he goes on his way, despite the fact that Shimei continues to walk along in the hills and throw stones upon them and mocks them. David is going to leave it in the hands of the Lord. When you and I are persecuted from within the body of believers, we're not to curse. We're not to invoke judgment upon others we're to, or to bring about evil or calamity upon them. We're not to take the way of the flesh. We're not to retaliate. We are to bless them that persecute us. Spurgeon made this observation. David could take this fellow's head off. And in that, mo in that, and that in a moment. And he said, let him alone, let him curse. And this makes a splendid example. If you can revenge yourself, don't. If you could do it as easily as an open, open your hand, keep it shut. If one bitter word could end the argument, ask for grace to spare that bitter word. David was at peace here in 2 Samuel 16. And the reason was because he knew that God was in control. No matter what Shimmy said, no matter what he did, no matter how much cursing he threw at him, no matter how many rocks he threw at him, no matter how difficult the road was, God was in charge. And even though Absalom was chasing, David knew that God had appointed him to the throne. He was the rightful king of Israel. And David just trusts the Lord. Beloved, you, you and I can be at peace. And we can trust the Lord when we're persecuted. When you and I are cursed, when we're falsely accused, you and I can trust the Lord. And he will have his way. His name will be glorified. His will will be done. We too can bless them that persecute us. Because God is on the throne. Romans twelve fourteen goes... Gives us a further step. Not only are we to bless them that persecute us, but we're to bless and curse not. We're to bless and curse not. Not only are we not to retaliate, but we're also to take a positive step towards those who trouble us. We're to bless them. Now in this context, the word bless means to confer well-being or prosperity on them. We wish them well. They're wishing us evil, they're cursing us, they're wrongfully accusing us, they're persecuting us, and what we're to do to believers in the body that are doing that to us, you and I are to wish them well. So those who persecute us are those we are to confer well-being upon. We need to pray for those who persecute us. We need to be nice to them. We need to forgive them and love them. Now what being said in Romans 12, 14, we should be under no illusion. Bless them and curse, bless and curse not. 
bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. This is, this is totally contrary to the Adamic nature. This is contrary to who we are. But it's entirely in line with the Christ life. If you and I are going to be like Christ, if you and I are going to reflect Christ to a lost and dying world, if you and I are going to live like Christ, then you and I need to do what Christ did. When he was reviled, revile not again. When he was cursed, he didn't curse back. He said, love your enemies. entirely against the grain but it's entirely what the Lord wants from you and I it's what our Lord Jesus taught you know it's significant this is what was evident of the death of the very first Christian martyr go back with me to Acts chapter 7 and the story of Stephen Acts 7 let's see how he behaves regarding those who persecute him Acts seven fifty seven. Says then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and he cried with a loud voice, Lord. Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As his countrymen stone him, Stephen blesses them. He prayed for their well-being. He sought God and he said to the Lord, he said, Lay not this sin to their charge. The Lord, don't allow this awful murder to be their blame. He blessed those who persecuted him. He blessed and cursed not. The commentator said the first man to die for Jesus died in obedience to Jesus, loving his enemies, praying for those who despitefully used him. Now we must understand, this is when the Lord said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when Stephen says, lay not this sin to their charge, they were not overlooking the sin of those who were committing the sin. There is no justification for the sin. There is no justification for what people did to Christ on the cross of Calvary. There's no justification for what they're doing to Stephen. They were sinners. They were committing sin, awful sin. And in both these prayers, there is no idea that the sin is overlooked. It's not overlooking sin, but it's desiring what's best for those who are committing it. When the Lord prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, in Luke 23, 34, Jesus did not grant forgiveness to those who crucified him. What he desired for them was the Father to forgive them if they would ask for forgiveness. Don't allow this crime, don't allow this event to be such a hindrance to them being forgiven, Lord. Lord, be willing to forgive them. If they come repentant to you and ask for forgiveness, please forgive them. Don't hold this against them. 
You see, he desired for his father to forgive them if they would ask for forgiveness. One commentator said this, when we pray like this for our enemies, we make the promise of forgiveness to God, not to the person who wronged us. We can't make the promise to them because they may not repent. But by making the promise to God, we keep our hearts free from the cancer of resentment and keep ourselves ready to forgive. You see, if you and I are not willing to forgive those who persecute us, if you and I are not willing to love our enemies, if we're not willing to pray for them who despitefully use us, then you and I are in danger of becoming bitter. And bitterness, according to Hebrew, is a defiling thing. It defiles those that we love as well as defiling ourselves. Like the Lord and like Stephen, we need to be willing to forgive. That's the pattern for us as believers. No matter what the persecution in the body of Christ, we're to bless those who persecute us. We're to bless those who curse us. We're to pray for them who despitefully use us. We're to work for their blessing so that they might be brought to repentance and might experience the forgiveness that God has for them, that they might get the blessings God wants for them, that like David, we will not curse them, that like Christ, we will not revile against them, that like Stephen, we will pray for them, so that they might come to repentance and experience the forgiveness that God can give to those who confess their sins. Lord. You see, when you and I respond negatively to those who persecute us, we're not helping them come to a place of forgiveness. But when you and I respond in a Christ-like way and we love them and we pray for them and we desire what's best for them, we are heaping coals of fire upon their head, bringing them to the place whereby they repent and ask for forgiveness and experience the blessing of God's forgiveness. And that's God's way. Romans 12, 14, as one commentator said, properly understood and lovingly and genuinely applied as a step to spiritual revival and as a sign of true spirituality. You see, the point is that we're not to harbour vengeful and resentful thoughts against our persecutors against fellow believers. We're to maintain a kindly disposition towards them. And therefore, by God's grace, we must pray for those who mistreat us and allow God to work in their hearts for his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Romans 12, 14 a difficult challenge for all of us to respond in a Christ-like way to those who persecute us is not easy. But Lord, it's the Christ-like way. Help us, Father God, to apply this truth to our lives. Enable us to live it. And seek to bring glory to you. Bless us as we close with the hymn, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.